The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks looking to extend yesterday's losses as Treasury yields continue to hit multi-year and, in some cases, multi-decade highs. Futures were in the red. They have now drifted slightly positive. Long on vision, short on details. The main takeaway from Tesla's big investor day, that stock is under pressure ahead of the opening bell. Moving the opposite direction is Salesforce. CEO Mark Benioff giving now half a dozen activist investors a possible reason to pause their campaigns. Plus, the ESG backlash hitting Capitol Hill and very soon the veto pen on the president's desk those details coming up ahead. And then another hit for the crypto industry as one of its biggest lenders questions its business viability and ability to remain solvent. It's Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Dominic Chewin for Frank Holland today. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after a muted day to kick off the month, the month, the month of March anyway. You can see the Dow Industrials is implied lower by just about 14 points. The S&P down by about 25 and the Nasdaq down by about 101. Now, we are off the worst levels of the pre-market session right now, but still, it's not a great start to the month of March. If you check on the bond market, five and 10-year yields are hitting their highest levels going all the way back to last November. And right now, the 10-year note yield, 4.04%. The two-year note yield, 4.91%. The 30-year long bond, again, just at about 4% right now. Check that two-year note particularly, and then the 5% that it's got, that's its highest yield going all the way back to 2007. That's how far back you have to go for that two-year note yield, 4.91%. So again, a lot of dynamics in that interest rate part of the market that are driving a lot of the market action right now. Now, on the energy side of things, oil prices continue to show at least some signs of stability, although U.S. benchmark crude prices for WTI, West Texas Intermediate, still below 80 bucks a barrel, currently up half a percent to $78.05. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, $84.62, up about four-tenths of one percent. Nat gas prices right now down about one and a half percent, $2.76 per million British thermal units. And in cryptocurrencies, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether prices lower right now, at least for Bitcoin, just marginally so. Bitcoin price is 23,405 and change. That's just about flat. Ether price is just about flat as well, $1,642.22. Let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trading in Europe right now. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in London with the latest there. Juliana, I just watched the last hour of programming. I have an idea, but please tell all of our other viewers tuning in why we see so much red on the screen. 
Madame, good morning. In terms of the red we're seeing in the overnight trade, it's a bit of a pullback after the strong surge we saw yesterday on the back of those stunning China PMI numbers. So a little bit of profit taking in the Asian session. Hang Seng, which was the standout yesterday, pulling back about 0.9%. But the real action this morning for European investors is the CPI print that just came out three minutes ago for Europe. What we learned is that Eurozone inflation is easing, but not to the extent expected. So for February, the CPI for the euro area has come in at 8.5%. Uh, 8.2% was the consensus expectation. In January, we were running at 8.6%. So a little bit lower than the January figure, but still the theme remains the same. Inflation proving more cons- more persistent than many had expected. Similar story to what you've seen stateside. So here's a picture for European equities. We are selling off and the selling has accelerated in the last uh, three minutes or so. So you've got the Zetra DAX down six tenths of a percent. FTSE MIB over in Italy down by about half a percent. FTSE 100 here in the UK also trading lower, but not to the same extent as we're seeing in some of the uh, continental regions. Now, of course, this uh, very much uh, the implications are for the ECB and investors have been pricing in more aggressive rate hikes from the European Central Bank and European bond yields have reacted accordingly. We've seen a step up in European bond yields uh, hitting multi-year highs for a number of regions. Right now, the German 10-year trading around 2.75% higher on the day, and it's the same story across the European region. Now, we've also got earnings to digest, so it's not all about the macro this morning. And let me highlight one for you. In the beverages space, AB InBev beat fourth quarter EBIT growth expectations to post $4.95 billion core profit in the period. That was over 7.5% higher year on year, even as sales volumes declined, especially in Asia and North America. The story here, Dom, uh, prices are uh, offsetting the dip in volume. So they are managing to push through price hikes, but some at, somewhat at the expense of volumes. Dom, back yeah, over to you. It's five o'clock or maybe 10 o'clock somewhere right now for a drink for ABM. But thank you very much, <laughs> Juliana Tenelbaum. We'll see you later on. Let's get a check on this morning's top corporate story. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Hi, Dom. Good Thursday morning to you. Well, shares of Salesforce, Salesforce surging after topping fourth quarter estimates and issuing a better than expected forecast. The results giving the cloud giant and its co-founder and CEO Mark Benioff some relief from the onslaught of activist investors pressuring the company over its direction. That includes Elliott Management, who is reportedly nominating a slate of new directors to the company's board. For the quarter, Salesforce posted sales of $8.4 billion on expectations of $7.9 billion. Benioff says the company is reassessing its focus on profits and hitting the, quote, hyper space button. Benioff joining Jim Cramer on Mad Money last night. We have hit the hyperspace button, and we decided it's time to go. We weren't going to wait two years to fiscal year 26 to deliver this proper profitability acceleration. We were going to do that right now, and that is what is happening. We are uh, really looking at not just the short-term restructuring, but long-term restructuring of the company. We're looking at profitability, but also productivity and performance. We're looking at prioritization of our products. And we're also looking at improving all of our shareholder relations. This has been our strategy. That's how you see us delivering uh, these amazing uh, numbers. Salesforce was already the best performing Dow stock so far this year. And with this morning's gains, should be extending that lead by a wide margin. Now, moving the other way, our shares of Tesla. CEO Elon Musk taking to the stage last night during the company's investor day in Austin, presenting his, quote, 
Master Plan 3 and strategy to become the world's largest car maker. Now, while the presentation was short on details, a slew of other Tesla executives were able to shed some light on the vision, including its CFO, Zach Kirkhorn. Now, Kirkhorn says... Tesla is aiming to cut costs by 50% in its next-gen vehicle, adding Tesla hopes to sell 20 million vehicles a year by 2030. That's up from the current 1.3 million. He says achieving that goal, which would eclipse current industry leader Toyota, will require around $175 billion in new investment, of which Tesla has already spent $28 billion. And Dom, no details from Musk or his team on what that next generation vehicle will look like, only to say that Tesla will need to offer around 10 models to reach that very lofty 2030 sales goal. All right, Sylvain Henao with those details. By the way, we'll have much more on that Tesla story later on. Uh, thank you very much. Back to the broader markets. Hedge fund mogul David Einhorn is keeping his negative view on stocks as inflation and interest rates could push even higher. Speaking yesterday on the halftime report, the Greenlight Capital founder says the Fed could have more work to do, lifting rates further than what's currently expected. I think we should be bearish on stocks and bullish on inflation. I think we've moved from uh, an economy that spent many years in secular deflation, and I think that we're now in an inflationary era. And I think we're at a time that, you know, after a long period, which was very, very good for financial assets, but maybe not so good for, you know, Main Street, I think we're sort of in the reverse of that. Einhorn did also add the Fed has made it clear it wants stock prices lower. So let's bring in Delano Saporu, founder and CEO of New Street Advisors. He's also a CNBC contributor. Good morning, Delano, to you. You heard David Einhorn's comments. Uh, he's not alone. There, there are a lot of folks out there who still believe the inflationary story is not yet done. What are the markets to do with this kind of data if we know that there could possibly be further inflation down the line? Morning, Dom. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think, you know, investors have a couple of routes to go. One is to, one, dig into that thesis and really believe, which could be quite possible, that, you know, inflation is, you know, not done and the Fed has more work to do. I know the pricing in in uh, the next, next hikes are starting to shift towards um, 50, 50 basis points. Um, but, you know, there's also another side of the coin is, the data that we saw um, that came out for January was is, was quite robust, and that could be partly a part uh, for seasonality, um, different things in that nature that were way above expectations. And so maybe that normalizes or, or continues its trend, obviously, downwards uh, in the next set of data that we see, which was why March will be very, very pivotal for the markets, especially in the short term, because I do think we still have a little bit of upside potentially um, as we go into summer. You know, Delano, the, the word that I heard a lot over the course of the last, say, six to nine months, maybe even a year, that I don't hear as much anymore, but I'm starting to hear a little bit more now, is stagflation, right? This idea that you could still have inflation despite a flagging and, and, and in some cases perhaps even recessionary economy. Is that a real threat? And is that the reason why the markets are seemingly in this churn mode right now? They can't seem to find a catalyst for a direction one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, Dom, I think that is a threat. And I think, you know, 
for the markets pulling back, uh, potentially is that churn that we're seeing is, could be potentially some of that being priced in. It's obviously some of the, the data we saw last month being priced in. I do think the one, on the one side where I think is that we had some, some bright areas, especially in, in the past earnings season, is the fact that guidance for some of the companies, as you just showed, uh, what Salesforce did, who's got, had a hard time during 2022, they're trying to make that turnaround. Guidance for companies was a little bit better. Uh, we did see companies do a little bit better on their cost. Uh, we also saw companies that are now focused on how to you know, deal in an environment where demand could be dwindling. And so if we get in a, a stagnation environment would probably be the worst case scenario for, for stocks and, and obviously for Main Street and, and everyone in, in this country. And that's something that I think you know, we can avoid if we continue to see companies do well in this environment, which a lot of them you know, surprisingly have done better than we expected during this earnings season. You have a favorite pick that you've seen so far this earnings season? Anything that's bullish for you on to take that stock pick as opposed to five percent yield on a one-year treasury one i think investors are five percent yields on a one-year treasury should you should have some of your money getting you know risk-free rates that we haven't seen um in a while but i think investors that are still looking at equities and still investing look at what you know megacap is doing look at what some of the the they call it the, the value stocks are doing as well um i actually thought it was interesting the move that you know uh, Alphabet's made. Alphabet um, took a little bit dive with their with their introduction of their their AI, and I think you know some of that uh, re-rating um, will cut, cut, there's some upside there just because of the dive that they took. And as things kind of uh, the hype of things died out, you'll look at a company that's been doing you know incredibly well over the past um, obviously for for a while. So so those are areas where you want to look at the valuation being really re-rated, where you think if you're holding this longer and things get a little bit better past inflation, uh, past rate hikes, that you ha- you're holding a, a quality stock. All right. Delano Sapporo there with Alphabet as his call. Thank you very much. We'll see you. All right. When we come back on the show, another casualty in the global crypto crisis, a key player at the center of that industry, casting doubt over its financial future. Plus, much more on Tesla's Investor Day. We lay out the bull and the bear case for that Tesla stock. And then later on, a CNBC exclusive interview with Flutter's CEO, Peter Jackson, talking earnings, its outlook for gambling apps, and a U.S. listing, and maybe when it could be coming, if at all. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange to a developing story this morning, Silvergate Capital. You can see those shares right now. One of the crypto industry's top banking institutions seeing its shares plummet in the pre-market as it raises new concerns of solvency and its ability to remain in business. CNBC.com tech reporter Mackenzie Sakalos joins us now 
Uh, Mac, you know, I've been chatting with some of our producers about this idea that I'm surprised it maybe has taken this long for Silvergate to have to make this kind of admission given FTX and the negativity around the business. So what exactly is driving this right now? Right. And, and Silvergate had a very specific relationship to FTX. And in this filing, they came out yesterday. Uh, that's the reaction that we're seeing in terms of its stock. So Silvergate Capital is down more than 30 percent ahead of the open after this crypto friendly bank announced last night that it was putting off reporting its annual earnings for 2022. Well, it sorts out the, quote, viability of its business. So Silvergate said that it delayed its 10K filing in part because of an imminent regulatory crackdown, including a DOJ probe that was already underway. The company said it also had to do with outstanding debts. This, as you said, is not a total shock. We've known for a while now that there were problems at Silvergate. In addition to laying off 40 percent of its workforce, the crypto banking giant also reported a $1 billion net loss in the fourth quarter following a bank run at the end of last year that saw customer deposits plummet 68% to $3.8 billion. Now, to cover those withdrawals, Silvergate had to sell $5.2 billion of debt securities. It also went to the Federal Home Loan Bank for $4.3 billion. Now, that loan, drawing attention from lawmakers like Elizabeth Warren, who said this further introduced crypto market risk into the traditional banking system. Silvergate said it's also facing inquiries and investigations from its banking regulators and the Department of Justice stemming from its ties to FTX, the now bankrupt and infamous crypto exchange that was both a customer and a big backer of Silvergate. Quick note here, Dom, we've seen investment firms Citadel Securities and BlackRock recently take major stakes in Silvergate, 5.5 percent and 7 percent, respectively. So this is interesting. I mean, let's put all of this in context, Mac. What does it mean for the overall industry, for the sector? Uh, Are we expecting any kind of a contagion or knock-on effect from what's happening here right now, Uh, the likes of which we saw kind of cascade with crypto firms last year and and, and kind of one falling after the other, a domino effect, so to speak? First, keep in mind that, you know, Silvergate is one of the two main banking giants. So the other is the New York-based Signature Bank, which has more than $114 billion in total assets, whereas Silvergate has just over $11 billion. But we are still talking about a U.S. bank potentially going under because it designed its business model around the crypto sector. And that goes right to the heart of the debate on Capitol Hill right now as to whether banks can adequately manage the risks that come with dealing in digital assets. And then there's the fact that Silvergate also has significant exposure to a lot of the big names in crypto that are still standing since it was the go to for many of these digital asset companies in 2021. It began working with Coinbase on its custody program. It also had ties to Binance. Now, investors obviously shaken. And even before the news that its 10K wasn't coming, Silvergate was already the most shorted stock on Wall Street as of earlier this week. More than 80 percent of the shares available for investors to buy and sell were sold short, according to data from S3 Partners, putting it ahead of Bed Bath & Beyond and Carvana. So things not looking good here, Tom. It also, though, does mean there's a possibility of a short squeeze at some point for (laughs) Silvergate shares as well. Mac, thank you very much. Mackenzie Sagalos, our CNBC tech reporter. We appreciate it. Thanks, Dom. All right. Ahead on Worldwide Exchange, trouble in Toyland that has shares of Funko on the ropes and why investors aren't expecting a turnaround anytime soon. That story coming up. Ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? 
or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. First of all, you got Funko reporting a big earnings miss for the fourth quarter and more than tripling the per share loss anticipated by analysts as the company deals with margin pressures, bloated inventories and supply chain issues. The pop culture collectibles maker also appointing a new CFO and COO to approve its operating efficiency. But Funko not popping, dropping 25 percent of the downside pre-market. Okta shares are rising after topping expectations for the fourth quarter and sharing strong revenue and profit guidance for the current period. The company is saying clients are still willing to spend money on security-related applications and that one new customer is ChatGPT, which, users, which uses Okta software for its login process. So Okta, perhaps an ancillary play on artificial intelligence, those shares up about 14%. And shares of banks are moving in the opposite direction, down right now. You can see about 10 to 11 percent after offering weak guidance for the current quarter, despite beating analyst estimates for the final three months of 2022. Its CEO saying the pressure on the business is more broad based. So box shares again down 11 percent pre-market. Now, the flow of trade is a leading indicator on supply chain issues and inflationary pressures. And this morning, one of the world's largest players in the space, MSC is shedding light on those very issues. CNBC senior editor Lorianne Laraco sat down with its CEO in a rare and expansive interview, and she joins us now. So, Lorianne, what can you tell us? What is MSC saying about the state of transportation and the global economy? Yeah, well, good morning, Dom. Well, MSC is the largest container uh, vessel carrier in the world, and they have almost 18 percent of the container market. It's growing at a time where we see contraction in the maritime space. And they're actually adding vessel capacity, and they're telling me they're optimistic on the second half of this year. We are seeing positive signs out of China. We're seeing positive signs out of India. So it gives me some belief that by middle of this year, we will start seeing some uh, normality and, and a return to some single-digit growth numbers. Explain the rate of the growth in trade all depends on inventory levels. He said at the present time, North America and Europe inventories are still high, but signs on ocean bookings out of China are encouraging. Toff said they're, they're seeing in the U.S. very positive shape, knowing the reduction in inflation, strong jobs market and being a net exporter. Dom. So, Lorian, what did they say about the movement of trade to the East Coast and the Gulf Coast and that, that's been something that we've been watching and talking about and anticipating for a while. Exactly. And so Toff told me that the migration of trade has been moving to these areas for a while and they are building based on where their clients want to bring in their cargo. MSC has been actually investing in a boom, if you will, in the United States, building terminals in Baltimore and New Orleans, as well as investing in Los Angeles. Now, these are bullish signs on their outlook on the U.S. economy because these projects take years to complete and for returns to be made. Dom. All right. Lorianne Larocco with the latest there to catch the whole state of freight interview. That expansive one. Just head over to CNBC.com for Lorianne's full interview there. They'll still come on the show. Newly minted Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsby finding himself in hot water this morning on reports of a possible conflict of interest. Plus, 
the ESG backlash hitting Capitol Hill, and very soon, the veto pen on the president's desk. We have those details coming up as well. We'll be right back after this break. It is just shy of 5.30 a.m. in New York. We are getting just started here on WEX. Here's what's still ahead. Stocks tell her start really fading in 2023, fading further now as bond yields continue to multi-year and multi-decade highs on fears the Fed may go much bigger with its next rate hike, futures right now facing some pressure. Elon Musk not electrifying shareholders with the Master Plan 3 at Tesla's Investor Day yesterday and plans to scale up amid increasing competition. Tesla shares under pressure this morning. A different story, though, for Salesforce. That stock is surging as the company for cloud computing says even better days are ahead. It's Thursday, March 2nd. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Chewin for Frank Holland this morning. Let's pick up this half hour with a check on U.S. stock futures, which are in the red, but not by that much. And even the Dow right now has drifted towards positive territory. The S&P is implied lower by roughly 19 points. The Dow implied higher by a modest 28 and the Nasdaq down by 82. Tesla driving a lot of that story. We'll have more on that coming up. Turning to the bond market. Five and 10 year yields are hovering at their highest levels since November. So check five years and 10 years again, highest since November. And by the way, the two year note yield at 4.9 percent, thereabouts, just near 5 percent, is its highest yield going all the way back to 2007. And watching shares of Salesforce, we mentioned it's surging after topping fourth quarter estimates and issuing a better than expected forecast also says it's expanding its share buyback program to $20 billion. So a number of different catalysts from that earnings report that are really generating some huge gains, 15% in Salesforce. So let's get a check on some of the other top stories this morning with Silvana Hanau. She's here with those. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Dom. Well, President Biden is expected to issue the first veto of his presidency over a Republican-led bill to block ESG investing. Now, the Senate approving the measure to overturn a Labor Department rule allowing fiduciary retirement fund managers to consider ESG factors when making investment decisions. Democratic Senators Joe Manchin and John Tester, who are both up for re-election next year in their conservative-leaning states, joining Republicans in passing the measure. A Delaware court throwing out an investor lawsuit claiming McDonald's board members did not uphold their duties to shareholders in handling sexual harassment and misconduct allegations. The suit stems from the 2019 firing and severance pay for former CEO Steve Easterbrook for having a relationship with an employee and a potential conflict of interest for the Chicago Fed and its newly minted president, Austin Goldsby. According to Bloomberg, the search firm hired by the bank to help find its new president boasts the wife of Goolsby, Robin. Now, as one of its executives, the bank had not publicly acknowledged the connection until it issued statements last night following inquiries by Bloomberg Dom. Thank you very much for the update there. Tesla shares right now under pressure on the heels of its annual investor day, which was heavy on vision and prior achievements, but perhaps light on specifics about any new products or any new services. Now, the company announcing it had produced 4 million cars to date and reiterating its goal to produce 20 million EVs, electric vehicles, by the year 2030, up from 1.6 million in 2022. 
Now, CEO Elon Musk taking the stage to present his so-called, quote-unquote, master plan part three and strategy to scale up production in the face of increasing competition, including a new Gigafactory facility in Mexico. So let's talk more about the road ahead for Tesla with Gordon Johnson, GLJ Research CEO and founder. Also, Pierre Farragut, the New Street Research Analyst, covers and watches Tesla as well. Gentlemen, thank you both for being here. Let's start, Pierre, with you from the analyst side on the positivity, perhaps, that you saw in some of Tesla's Investor Day yesterday, if any. Was there anything that got you excited, Pierre? Um, hey, Dem, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Yes, it's, uh, it was a very interesting, uh, very, very uh, rich day, um, very rich in terms of learning. I think uh, what Tesla did really uh, having us in, uh, in Austin uh, during a full day visiting uh, visiting uh, the factory and spending time with uh, uh, a dozen um, members of the management team to go over a lot of what uh, the company is doing today is giving us a lot of flesh, uh, which stands behind what you just mentioned, which is a plan to uh, uh, support the transition to um, like an old renewable uh, world and towards 20 million units, 20 million cars. So uh, like 10, 10 times more the, the run rate they could achieve with the factories they have today, uh, and also towards producing uh, one terawatt hours of um, uh, energy storage capacity. And so to get there uh, and to make money on the way to remain very profitable, uh, there is a lot to deliver. That's really getting into these details that Tesla deal, did during that day. Uh, and, and I found the overall story very, uh, very credible. What we saw um, is really what Tesla is capable of doing and what other car manufacturers uh, are going to struggle with. Um, that's their ability to innovate on the manufacturing front on really all what makes a car, not only the battery, but also like the electric motor, um, um, uh, the electronics uh, inside the car, the manufacturing process, uh, putting apart really the way um, cars are being manufacturing, uh, manufactured today. Uh, to come up with uh, significantly more efficient ways to do so, sure. uh, compartmentalizing the, the, the manufacturing of the car. So, so that's really like in all these details, uh, all that flesh that comes around the vision that the day was extremely useful for investors. All right. So, Pierre, that's the kind of bullish macro case here. Gordon Johnson, we know that you have not been the biggest fan of Tesla. In fact, you have a pretty dire outlook for the valuation of this company overall. Uh, the rest of Wall Street seems to be agreeing with you, at least in part, given the 5 to 6% drop in Tesla shares that we're watching right now on the heels of the Investor Day. So did anything happen yesterday to make you more bearish on Tesla, or are you a little bit more measured about it now? Dom, thanks for having me. Pierre, good to see you. Let's talk specifics. So essentially what you had is you have a bunch of fanboys and Tesla cheerleaders like Pierre that are writing checks that they can't cash. And let, let me say spe specifically what I'm talking about. Heading into the much hyped investor day, Tesla talked about, or the fanboys talked about, either a new model being produced, um, that they were gonna talk about the severely delayed Cybertruck when that was gonna come out. They were gonna introduce a new affordable $25,000 car, um, or they were gonna announce new things around robo-taxis, which uh, uh, Kathy Wood had talked about a lot. None of that happened. In fact, what happened was for three hours, Tesla spoke in vagaries and you had a bunch of engineers come up 
and talk about things that Tesla has already done. And, and, and the CFO refused to talk about any numbers. In fact, he said he's not going to talk about Q1 and Q2. Why? Why is he not talking about that? Let's, let's, let's discuss that briefly. Thus far this year, fundamentally, it has been a horror show for Tesla. What do I mean? They've engaged in margin slashing price cuts. In fact, they're offering cars in China now in the $30,000 range. And despite that fact, the first eight weeks of the first quarter, if you look at their cars sold per day versus the first eight weeks of the fourth quarter, it's down 20.1%. They are getting annihilated in China by the competition. And you're seeing the same thing in Europe where their inventory is stacking up despite aggressive price cuts. Let's just think about this, Dom. Let's just talk about the numbers. They did about just under $10,000 per car in profit in the fourth quarter. They've cut prices by about $6,000 per car. So if you assume they get $1,000 per car of price savings and, and, and modest price hikes, you're talking about an EPS number, assuming they can sell 1.8 million cars this year, right. of under $3. That's a multiple of 70 times earnings in an industry that trades at six times. Right now, Tesla is valued at more than the next six largest automakers combined, despite selling just 4% of the cars that those automakers have sold on a trailing 12-month basis. All right. And when you consider all that, right, they're, they're struggling to sell cars right now, massive price cuts, margins coming down significantly, and two of their plants are running at 20 to 40% utilization. This is a pending we think problem for Tesla. Okay. And to speak in vagaries, as I think Pierre did, and not focus on those facts, I think is why so there's going to be some negative surprises uh, later this year. All right. Well, it's good to know that whatever happened yesterday hasn't changed either of your minds with regard <laughs> to the bull bear case on, on Tesla. We've got a limited amount of time left. And with that, I want to give each of you guys a, a kind of final word. All right. And, and perhaps, Pierre, we'll start with you. You know, Gordon makes some interesting points with regard to the valuation specifically. Can, is there anything that you can respond with with regard to just how much Tesla is worth compared to what it's actually producing? Or is it all about the promise in the future, which are, by the way, vagaries by their very nature because it's a vision and not necessarily a hard forecast? Uh, thanks, Dom. You know, valuation is all about the future, right? No, no company is valued on that. Uh on past performance or what happened in the past. It's only valued on what's happening in the future. So here you're facing a choice. You can uh, listen to, um, uh, like the story, um, the, the, the picture of Gordon just uh, painted, which is about a company that visibly barely knows how to make a car and how to sell a car and how to uh, uh, manage the transition of the world towards uh, like a renewable economy. Or you can listen to what the, the company has set as a goal, which is 20 million units uh, and a terawatt hours of uh, uh, energy storage capacity that they, they want to roll out ASAP. So what does Tesla look like um, with that kind of master plan being executed? Sure. Uh, that's $700 billion of revenues in, uh, in uh, autos, like um, two $300 billion of revenues in energy storage. We are talking $1 trillion in revenues. Um, it's a very high margin business. Right. Tesla has demonstrated they can do car, cars very efficiently and defend very, very good margins. So you're talking two, $300 billion of EBIT, um, which, you know, for a company growing reasonably well, um, you know, can uh, trade on a 25 times maybe multiple. So gotcha. we're talking about three, 
5 trillion dollars of market cap on achieving that vision so that leaves the stock with a lot uh, of upside um, okay. and uh, we know let's see let's see what happens in uh, in china in the next few months for tesla and see uh, how it stacks up against um, uh, the gordon's uh, perspective all right so gordon with that being said i'm going to give you the final word here what is it going to take for the for tesla to change your mind about this extreme bear case that you have on them yeah it, i don't think it's extreme I, i'm just valuing them at, at how the auto automakers are, are valued but when, when Pierre talks about 20 million cars sold by 2030, if you look at the amount of cars that Tesla sold last quarter, to get to that number, they would literally need to build a new plant every quarter, fully sold out for the next literally 12 years. Clearly, they're not going to do that. So you can't just throw these numbers out there and just you know put a multiple on it and say that's what it's worth. One thing. Number two, master plan part two in 2017. Elon Musk said he was going to build a high-density passenger transport, and he said he was going to have autonomous robo-taxis on the road by 2020. They have not gotten anywhere close to achieving that plan. Elon Musk has said he was going to make ventilators. He said that he was going to have a $25,000 car. He said he had funding secured to go private. He said he was going to have 20 million robo-taxis on the road by 2020. I could go on and on. Sure. The point is, Elon Musk has made a ton of promises he has not delivered on. And, and when people say, well, he, he, he makes promises and then he delivers. All right, Gordon. Well, when he filed a 13G versus a 13D, when he put up the fake solar panels to justify the acquisition of Solar City, when he said he had funding secured, those weren't you know, promises that he was going to deliver on. Those were just mistruths. All so right. to believe what Elon Musk says at this point, we think is like you know believing the kid in middle school that said his dad beat Michael Jordan in basketball. All I right. think Tesla has big problems. And I think you got to consider that. This is obviously a passionate debate, and the reason why we had both of you guys on, because it's the same debate everyone's playing on Wall Street right now. Gordon Johnson, Pierre Farrago, thank you very much for the Tesla views there. Thank we'll you. see you gentlemen soon. Coming up on the show, a CNBC exclusive interview with the Flutter CEO, Peter Jackson, talking about earnings, its outlook, and when a U.S. listing might be coming. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. FanDuel parent company Flutter Entertainment reporting full year results this morning, beating expectations largely because of its shocking U.S. business. It's on fire right now. Contessa Brewer joins us with an exclusive interview with Flutter's CEO. Over to you, Contessa. Dom, good morning to you and good morning to Peter Jackson. The first time that we've had you on CNBC as the CEO of Flutter, and we do so appreciate you being here this morning. It's very nice to see you. So, Peter, I, I want to talk to you about incredible results. Your full-year revenue in the United States, $3.2 billion, up 67% year-on-year. It was a profitable fourth quarter if you exclude new state launches in Maryland and Ohio. But really the headline that sticks out to me is that FanDuel is increasing its U.S. market share in sports betting from 42% to now 50% in the fourth quarter. How do you keep doing that? if at the same time you're starting to pull back on marketing spend? Look, the team are doing a terrific job in FanDuel. I'm absolutely you know, delighted with the performance we saw in the fourth quarter. As you said, you know, we saw 50% market share uh, in that crucial uh, football uh, period, up 10 percentage points on the prior year. So the team are doing a brilliant job. We're finding that our customers you know, are really engaged with the product, you know, nearly Three quarters of our you know, customers in the most recent Super Bowl were using uh, a Parlay product, and that's really helping our hold rate. So the proportion of revenue that we capture, 
And if we look at 2022, we were $900 million ahead of our next nearest competitor. So we're earning a lot more money than our competitors. Our acquisition costs are much lower than our competitors, and it's really powering our flywheel. We've got much more resources to invest in product, invest in marketing, and invest in generosity, and that's helping compound the advantages that we have in the market. It's notable, and I want to mention, too, that you've uh, improved your share in iGaming to 21%. The market leader there is BetMGM, and, of course, uh, it's coming to the table with rewards points in bricks and mortar as well. But the thing that everybody is talking about now in the United States, Peter, is this potential listing on the U.S. exchanges, allowing investors here to have a share of FanDuel's success or failure, if that happens to be the case. What are you hearing as feedback from your shareholders about listing here? Look, the early engagement we've had with our shareholders has been very positive. And we've, you know, we announced our full-year results this morning. We'll be going out on the road and engaging with shareholders over the next couple of weeks. We'll be talking to them about acquiring a U.S. listing for Flutter. And it's something we're very excited about. It'll give our retail customers an opportunity to in, invest in Flutter and you know, share in the, the benefits and advantages that we have of our global powerhouse. We're the number one operator globally in, in this space. We're number one in America with a 50% market share. We're leading in the U.K. We're up 14% in Q4. We're, we have the gold medal position in Australia, in Italy. Um, our fastest growing business is actually in India. Um, so, you know, look, we're a global business. And I think to be in the U.S. market with the deep pools of liquidity there to allow U.S. domestic investors to invest in us uh, is something we're really excited about. And we hope our shareholders will support. You mentioned your international holdings there. You reported 8 percent growth in the use of by customers of responsible gaming tools. It's remarkable that you even reported that. Do you think the United States is doing enough to learn a lesson from Europe where it's clear from your earnings report that the regulatory crackdown in response to problem gambling has an impact on the bottom line? Look, we, we've always thought it was the right thing to do to take this responsible gaming stuff really seriously. We've taken 150 million pounds of revenue out of our UK business uh, in terms of eliminating customers who we think were at risk of becoming problem gamblers. We invest you know, 60 to 70 million pounds a year in the tools and resources and capabilities just in the, in the UK business to sort of, you know, support that. So the, leading the race to the top is really important for us. And you know, it's not just in the UK, it's in all the markets mm -hmm. in which we operate in around the world. So look, we take this stuff really seriously. We're building this fantastic business in the U.S., and we intend to build it the right way. Peter Jackson, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate that. Lovely to see you. Thank you. You know, it's interesting, Don, because you're going to start hearing more of this percolate up as other states consider pushing forward iGaming. New York has just done it, and the concerns over problem gambling are going to start percolating up. I mean, it's been the biggest hurdle over the last 20 years yeah. of legalizing gambling in all these jurisdictions. Contessa, thank you very much for the sure. big interview there. We appreciate it. All right, we're back on WEX after this. All right, welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 a.m. Eastern time hour. Shares of Salesforce surging after topping fourth quarter estimates and issuing a better-than-expected forecast. The company also expanding its share buyback program to $20 billion. Shares of major crypto bank Silvergate Capital are sinking. The company in a filing late yesterday saying recent events in the industry are raising concerns about its ability to remain in business. 
Tesla shares are also under pressure following the company's investor day yesterday. The presentation noted for being long on vision but short on specifics about anything new at Tesla for products or services. President Biden is expected to issue the first veto of his presidency over a Republican-led bill to block ESG investing. The Senate approving the measure to overturn rules for fund managers and weighing ESG factors when making investment decisions. Shares of Celsius Holdings falling on an expected or unexpected loss in its fourth quarter results. Revenue for the energy drink maker also coming in lighter than estimates. And NASA and SpaceX successfully launching a new crew to the International Space Station on board. Two Americans, one Russian astronauts, and for the first time ever, an astronaut from the United Arab Emirates being launched from U.S. soil. Well, let's get set for the trading day ahead. Let's bring in Greg Branch, managing partner at Veritas Financial Group, also a CNBC contributor. Uh, Greg, let's talk, first of all, macro, and then we're going to dig right in. Greg, have we seen the lows for this market, or are we going to retest things back in October? Uh, We have not seen the lows. I believe we've seen the highs, Dom. I do believe we'll retest those October lows. You know, the odd thing is, is that you know, I've been saying for a while now that the indices are too high and the, uh, and the yields are too low uh, based on what we expect the Fed to do. But the yields after last week have come in right about where they were when we saw those market, those, uh, those market lows in October. The, the equity market's still not there yet. Okay, so Greg, with that in mind, is this the time to put money to work and are there opportunities? Both of those things are true. <laughs> so uh, I do not think necessarily that uh, I would have my highest exposure right now, given that I think the overall market is too high. Uh, what I do think will happen is that breadth will narrow as we go throughout the year. And uh, we've seen the rally thus, thus far this year that the things that did not participate last year are, are really the high flyers of this year. And I think that that will revert. I think that we'll see lots of money flow back to those things last year because we're going to face a similar macro environment where I think the Fed has another 150 basis points to go in terms of its hiking, uh, we're going to see the same macro environment where there are companies and sectors where we will get robust earnings growth. They will be few and far between. Uh, but I think investors will start to focus on that as uh, the, the world consensus comes uh, more in line with, with the macro view that, that I'm anticipating. All right. So with that macro view, what's on the shopping list, Greg? So a couple of things. Uh, you know, we, we heard from the retailers that they are concerned about the consumer. And I think that this is, this is, this is a telling. Uh, both Walmart and Target said that uh, for their customer base, consumers are actually buying things that, that are non-discretionary, the necessities, which are lower margin. And so I'm still trying to figure out retail because I'd had some hope that there would be some, some margin expansion there, supply chains normalized, but it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. That said, consumer spending is still strong, and the way to capitalize that, I think, is in the financial sector. Yes, they're provisioning, but this net interest margin environment is getting more and more positive. And again, I probably think it'll get uh, more accommodating than most as I see another 150 bets from the Fed. Uh, but even the credit card companies, if we think spending will be more robust this year, uh, they obviously added record ads in terms of applications and consumers uh, at near uh, historic high AP, a, uh, APRs. Uh, the other area I'd look at is healthcare. You know, sure. Manas, United of the World haven't participated this year. Inelastic demand passing on that those uh, labor interests. All right, Greg Branch with the list of stock picks. Thank you very much, sir. We'll see you soon, Greg. Thanks. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now mixed. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. The Dow's implied higher by 32. The S&P lower by 19.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 